um, a family life, you know, great if that's what you want. You want to try to, um, you know, have both. That's great. Like, you know, you you just need to know what you want and mm. um, why you want it. Yeah. That's more important, I think. Yeah. And then just go after it, you know. Like, yeah, you, yeah you, whether it's, but it doesn't matter whether it's backed by data, emotions or logic. None of them is, you know, lesser or greater than any of it. It's yeah. just they need to exist um, in sort of symphony. That's yeah. when you really are um, yourself. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast Real Talk with Sudhanya. And I'm your host, Sudhanya. In this podcast, we meet people. People who are dreamers, go-getters, achievers. They have a bigger purpose in life. And sometimes they have strange and funny ways to deal and grow with their challenges. Just like my today's guest. My today's guest is Archana Wundakal. Her philosophy in life is, I am because we are, the Ubuntu philosophy. She applies this philosophy while leading, coaching, and collaborating with people around her. Her strong belief in the interconnectedness of humanity has led her to her why, to motivate people and to have a positive impact on people's lives. Whether it's her role as a technology leader or her hobby of stand-up comedy, she wants to move people with emotions and motivate people to work towards a better world for all of us by bringing technology and people together. She truly believes that we rise by lifting others and is active in giving back to her tech community. She has worked with nonprofit organizations and corporate initiatives for social impact to coach young professionals in tech. She's a champion of women's rights and wants to make the world of tech a thriving place for individuals irrespective of their gender, background, ability, or age. She's also the co-author of Ready for Female Leadership. The future is now. I had this big privilege to talk to her, have fun, and to be inspired. So, join me in this amazing conversation with Archana. Have fun. Uh, for our audience, we both are in Netherlands. Uh, another fact is that we both are from India. Archana is from South of India and... Uh, I am from East of India in Bengal, but we both love Bollywood. <laughs> we do. <That's> <laughs> we do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, we appreciate each other a lot on our reel. Uh, like, maybe later today we can do some TikTok for, like, Bollywood songs. We should. We should. That would be a good way to wind down <laughs> yes. for the day. Yeah. <laughs> because today we are going to have some Bollywood talk, so, like, uh, TikTok is mandatory. So. Uh, and also, uh, we both are into tech. And... Uh, which uh, also inspired me to read your book, which is called, uh, which you have co-authored as one of the, I think, 28 essays. Nice. And it's called Ready for Female Leadership, which is a fantastic topic I love. The Future is Now, that's the name of the book. And um, there you spoke about uh, women in tech, 
uh, about uh, leadership, about mentoring, and uh, um, I was reading today in the morning uh, once more to get a bit prepped for like you know today's mm-hmm. uh, talk. I was uh, so inspired, and I could so much relate uh, to some of the points that you mentioned, uh, like. You know, back in India, it's so common to have a lot of women in technology, but not here, not here in Europe or in the Netherlands. And that was a big shock for you. And then how it was quite tough uh, for you to find your path. And hey, today you see you are a technology strategist mm-hmm. uh, at the moment with Microsoft. And yeah, you have a brilliant career. And I, I so enjoyed uh, reading your book and words of inspiration. Um, there are other beautiful, uh, I would say, talents uh, of this lady, which we'll go a bit later. <laughs> but let's start with something that is super fun about this essay. And uh, you wrote as a final note that if not you, then who? So let's start with that. Right. Um, do you want to know why the essay is titled that way or... Where did it come from, the thought? Whatever, uh, like, (laughs) you want to share about it. Okay. Um, Well, this was actually um, a speech that I wrote. It came, um, it had a more motivational angle to it. Uh, But the quote itself is mine, and it really comes from my heart because it's also something that I tell myself when I look into the mirror, um, especially when I'm struggling, you know, with hard times, because it's so easy uh, for each of us to ask, why me? Why did this happen to me? I'm sure we all have been through that phase. Um, And I still do sometimes, but I've also kind of trained my mind to ask myself, you know, if not you, then who? Um, It has um, sort of two layers to it. One is, of course, when I'm struggling and struggling especially with self-pity, uh, this question serves me well. If not you, then who? Because you know you you have all the ability in this world to to solve this problem or to really tackle this challenge head on. Um, that's that's the one angle. Um, and the other one is, of course, when I'm struggling with imposter syndrome. You know, if mm. I'm ever sort of uh, if I have an opportunity that I'm excited about, uh, my mind immediately tells me, um, my brain. You know, it's more like, hey, are you sure this is for you? Um, are you sure you're probably just like, you know, a diversity candidate for this, Mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of us, especially women, I I know men too, and um, a lot of us can relate to these questions, right? So that's also one of the answers that I have, if not you, then who? Because all the experiences that I have had in my life make me truly unique um, and the best candidate to either have this opportunity or to deal with this challenge. Um, so that's where this question comes from, and it has served me well. And I now, through this book, I want to offer it to a larger audience and hopefully motivate them you know, to pick a career in technology and to also tell them that you know, your experience makes you truly unique, and that's why you need to be in tech, because technology belongs to us all. Um, right. So that's, that's how I start and end my essay in this book. Yeah, and indeed, like what you mentioned, that very less women are in tech, and one of the reasons is the imposter syndrome, that who am I? I'm not this nerd. I don't know coding. I don't have interest. Like, it doesn't interest me. Like, uh, why? And it it is such a layered question because it's also a societal thing that, like, women shouldn't be in this, like, into technology stuff, but we all use it, like... Uh, the future is technology, like the current situation, everything is digital, the whole how we handle pandemic, 
like digital plays such a big role, technology plays such a big role. And since we are the 50% of the consumers, we need to be. So like a great message, Arjuna, <laughs> like I really uh, loved it. Uh, but like I, I can also sense that there is a deeper meaning in in it as well like because like you inspire people in career in technology but like uh, you mentioned about the self-pity's imposter syndrome apart from your technical endeavors or like your career endeavors where all do you face this this yeah, Self-touch. this is, of course, this is a very human question, right? I mean, it's mm. challenges not just in technology, uh, you know, whether um, I want to learn a certain thing or whether I want to get a promotion. It's not just limited to that. It's limited to, it's, it's, it goes beyond that. Mm. Uh, it's also in general in life when I have faced some challenges. Um, I um, have witnessed uh, domestic abuse, Mm. Um, alcohol abuse uh, in my family, and I've also I'm also a survivor of sexual abuse. So um, I never had a very safe childhood. Safety was a big thing that was missing from my childhood, mm. um, and um, that shapes a, a lot of the things that I want to do in my life. Um, so if I really look back at it, uh, there have been so many times when I've looked into the mirror and asked myself, "Why me?" Like. Why am I in this situation? Like, why do I have to be born here, uh, you know, in this particular setup and things like that? For a long time, I've asked this question to myself. And for a long time, I struggled with self-pity. And I still do sometimes. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, yeah, I've also, like I said, been trying to train my um, brain to put a uh, spin another spin on it mm. I wouldn't necessarily say a positive spin I yeah I don't want to go down that track with talking about positivity all the time but right. I really just want to talk about what works for me mm-hmm. um, it is yeah to ask myself also if not you then who because you know it, it just really makes me reflect on how far I've come and how I've dealt with other uh, dealt with other challenges it just gives me uh, more confidence and faith in myself um, and that's that's also the the reason behind this question it also comes from a a place of struggle, place of self-pity, um, yeah, and place of lack of safety that I that I really missed, uh, wow. you know, during uh, my growing years. Well, like, and that's what I, uh, like, hear from you now, and also in the book I could sense it that there is much more, like, a deeper reason for you to be so driven and also successful and also, like, uh, bringing, like, the whole why in your life to bring the positive change in your life and indeed you are you don't always talk about fluffy positive talk indeed the reason like the intention is to bring positivity but like it is through like the deep knowing and uh, i'm amazed i wanted to pick on this topic a bit later but you already mentioned mm-hmm. about the right on the direct real talk that yeah, about your childhood and uh, the things that you went through so can you share something a bit more about um, your childhood? Yeah, l- let me think. So like I said, safety was uh, an element uh, that was missing in my childhood through whatever experiences I had. And that has shaped um, a lot of things for me as an adult now. Um, and also, for example, what I strive to create around me is that that I can make whichever place or environment I am in Mm. a safe one for not just me but also whether it's my colleagues or my friends or you mm. know um, basically my counterparts anyone mm. so this this is um this is what i do because i have really missed it and i know 
um, you know, how I can, uh, creating this is so important, you know, for us to work as a group, any group, mm. whether it's at workplace or at home or just in your social life. Um, so this is how it has shaped. And just reflecting back on my childhood, and um, it, it has been a struggle. Um, and um, I'm just thinking, um, did you have any other specific question on that? Uh, like I how just, does unsafety feel like? Oh, wow. it, like, I know that. Wow, yeah, that's a deep question. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good question, though. Yeah. Um, how does being unsafe feel like? Unsafe, being unsafe is, well, it's terrible, of course. It's also uh, something where you're constantly thinking, um, what's next? What's, what's going to happen next? Mm. Um, and you're always thinking about the next phase and mm. um, what's going to happen next. Will, they, will it lead into something else? Will it make somebody more angry? You know, you're always thinking about um, what's going to happen next and always thinking about people around you, uh, you know, how they might react or... Um, what they might do to you or someone else. Mm -hmm. So this is um, very, very energy depriving, even especially so as, as a child. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want to be thinking about all this. As a child, you should be, you know, just, you know, worry about your homework, worry about your school stuff and just play. These are the things that should be at the top of the mind for a child. Uh, but when you come from an unsafe background, uh, these are the questions which take the front seat and this uh, front seat in your brain and this... Uh, really changes the way you think and where you, the way you grow as an adult. And it's so easy to repeat this cycle. It's so easy to give in to this um, and uh, to also repeat this cycle. Um, and, and I understand why, why it is easy, why, why pe some people still you know, sort of continue to do that, to repeat the cycle. And I feel that I have sort of been put onto this earth to really break this pattern. You know, this, right. this, is, this is my why. This is why I've been put here to, in whatever capacity I can, um, um, you know, to the best of my ability to break this cycle. And this is what I, this is how it has shaped me. This is what I try to do at workplace, in my social circle. And more importantly, you know, now that I'm a young mother, uh, well, that I have a young son. I don't know if I'm a young mother, but I have a young mom. son. So this is, this is all the more important for me, you know, to, to really look at and learn about gentle parenting, um, how it should be, how do you create a safe environment where your child can thrive. And I think in, in a lot of ways, this has made me a better person and also a better individual at, at workplace because I can really empathize a lot more with people now. Um, um, and, you know, and always think about how do I make this a safer environment for everyone? How do I make this an environment where people can thrive? You know, this, mm. this is the question that I ask myself That's as a leader as well. And, um, yeah, so this amazing. is how it has impacted amazing. me. Amazing. Like, yours, I, can, I can feel the energy right now, <laughs> the vibe, and how much driven and dedicated and purposeful you are. And everything has a reason. So thank you so much for sharing and bringing it in the table, that's I, what I read also in your <laughs> book, like, let's bring it to the lunch table. Um, you mentioned about, um, like, things like sexual abuse uh, or, like, you know, dysfunction family. I, I'm not a yet a parent, but I can imagine every parent in the world would want to give their children the best they can. They want to make their children feel safe, offer them education, you know, affection. Like, I can't imagine that nobody wouldn't want it. Mm -hmm. But still, these things happen. And uh, it has happened in my life also. Uh, like, 
my uh, mother, she suffers from bipolar. And when she went through her second pregnancy, for example, after that, it went downward. And life happens, right? And then, um, yeah, you go through this whole tough uh, situation as a child. But now, grow growing up, I knew that, like, she never intended to make, you know, uh, our lives, you know, difficult or, like, whatever, like, whatever happened between my parents fighting or whatever. They, it was not an intention to make my life uh, tough. But still, I felt extremely unsafe, so I totally relate with what you're saying, what does unsafe feel like, and that constant people-pleasing attitude and this constant, like, you don't look into yourself. Um, and um, every generation ha has to step up and become a bit more conscious around it. Um, but, like, what do you think might be the reason, like, like from our... Pre and this is something that I'm hearing, like, just from our previous generation, like our parents. <laughs> we, like, it's very stunning that we both had different kind of challenges, but still dysfunctional right. uh, childhoods. And uh, we both come, like, we are so driven also because of that, feel that feeling of unsafety. Um, like, being a new parent now, why do you think that happened, like, with you know, our previous generation. Right. right. It's, a, it's a very broad question, of course. Uh, but, um, so, Dania, first of all, thank you for sharing that. And mm -hmm. uh, I know I've known it before you've shared it with me, but I just think that, yeah, you're br very brave for sharing this. And I think we need more people like you who can talk about it and also talk about um, um, talking talk about making mental health, you know, a part mm -hmm. of our conversation. I think it needs to be in our mainstream conversation. So you're definitely, um, you know, somebody who's leading the path there. So uh, and I'm in thank awe you. of you for that. Um, so thank you for sharing that. And then if I really look back, you know, your, main, your question is around, you know, what, uh, what really made our previous generation, um, mm -hmm. you know, um, also given that we share similar backgrounds, of course, it would be, uh, hard for us to know how parents are here in this part of the world, but if I have to reflect back on our culture and that uh, similar thread that we share, um, I think uh, one of course, um, um, it could be that uh, our previous generation, well, not exactly previous, but more like the baby boomer generation or boomer generation, they had different concerns, you know, they had to think more about uh, finance than we had to, you know, like family finances. They were probably a little bit restricted on that end. And of course, if you talk about mental health or alcohol abuse or how addiction runs in the family, right. I doubt even if there were data back then, you know, that, that right. could support this kind of or could shine some light on what is happening. Even if it were there, it was probably just in the circles of the doctors or the psychologists. Uh, mm -hmm. And of course, internet was absent then, right? right. And at least, you know, in, a, in, in normal life. So um, that means that the message did not get out um, as often as it does now. Now, even though there are still a lot of people who deny it, it is still a part of the conversation. People have different opinions about it. That's fine. Right. But it is a part of the conversation now right. to talk about mental health or how addiction runs in the family, what happens, how do you break the cycle of domestic abuse or, you know, even sexual abuse, any right. kind of abuse. Um, so, yeah, and, you know, I think Internet, of course, has a very big part to play in this, um, that, that people are ready to talk about it. And uh, not everybody shies away from it anymore. Uh, we ha still have a long way to go. Uh, I think uh, the fact that there is research, there is data, and there is Internet has really made 
a difference. The difference in yeah. our generation, right? In the sense, like, and that's where also, like, see, technology is helping us right. to get over that. Because I remember as a kid, um, it's such a big taboo to have, uh, like, you know, psychiatric trouble in your family. Like, it's now it's like as like normal as like breaking your leg. Like anybody it can. It should be, yeah. Yeah, but like like back then it was like a huge taboo and somehow nobody like i don't think so nobody told me specifically that hey don't share it but i remember i was up till 18 or 19 years old that nobody not not even my closest friend in my school knew about my whole personal family situation and i can imagine that like that there are so many families where like you know these kind of situations happen like domestic abuse or like any any kind of dysfunction and there is no proper social support system to uh like you know help you know to to even help our parents they are also going through all of this for the first time as well right yeah. right and the thing is social support is very important you've made a yeah, I think that's a very good point you made because mm. um, the thing is, you, yeah, you need to rely on your support. Uh, and when you, you also need to constantly observe yourself as a parent. That's why being a parent is very hard work, in my opinion, mm. because you need to sometimes literally lift yourself out of your body and observe you interacting with your child. Mm. Now, if you're bogged down with your own problems and if you think that um, a child is somebody who needs to be fed, bathed and put to bed, you don't have time to look at other things that impact the growth of a child. Now, if you think, um, yeah, I mean, of course, I'm not saying feeding and bathing a child is very, very difficult. Trust me, it takes right. me about two hours a day. So, of course, that's <laughs> difficult. That's, that's physical hard work. I'm not denying that. But you also need to have the mental space for yourself as a parent to literally kind of lift yourself out of your body and look at, hey, this is what I did today. Maybe I could do this better. And it's even better if you do it right there in that situation because you need to think long term when you are interacting with a child, mm. um, especially in the growing years when they're constantly either showing, throwing tantrums or asking for something or they're angry with something. You need to really deal with them, look at them as mm. a person. So first you need to empathize with them and then you need to think long, long run that their brain is probably not capable of handling the situation. So you, you and you are the adult there, you know, mm. and you need that a space to kind of lift yourself out of your body and look at it as wow. a situation. Am I, am I telling the right things? It's very difficult and yeah. it's not possible all the time. But social support is very important there because when you have others to rely on, then you have some space for yourself, for your self-care, and then you have some space to really look at how you're interacting with your child. Right. But if you're truly bogged down and really, you know, kind of circled... Um, within your own problems and you don't have a way to break it and to think outside of it, um, yeah, mm. this becomes difficult. Yeah. And that's why social support is important, um, especially if you're dealing with mental health issues as, yeah. as a parent. Yeah, and very yeah. wise, very wise advice, I think. Mm. And I'm just like right now that makes me very curious that how did you reach this like, like uh, mindset, like, like from your childhood, like if we can go a bit backtrack, and um, if you can share a bit about, like, what really happened, uh, like, you spoke about sexual abuse. And from there, also, like, what made you bring till here with this kind of a uh, mindset? 
Yeah, so um, the thing is, um, yeah, sexual abuse thing happened when I was really young, like around six or seven years. I don't even remember properly, but there were more than one, there was more than one instance. So for a long time, so for repeatedly for many years, I felt unsafe. Mm -hmm. um, and then even uh, through my um, growing years in my teens, I never felt safe because of the environment, which I'm sure you can relate to, um, that was persist persistent back there, you know, in India. And of course, now things have changed. I think things are much better now, but still women are unsafe. And again, I want to say that it's not a problem that is focused only on India. No. It is true for the rest of the world. Women do feel unsafe in different capacities. Uh, but yeah, I yeah, I mean that's that's the fact. You that mean is something going in the street, yeah, and yeah, in the uh, catcalling, catcalling. Um, or somebody touching you inappropriately. It's just um, yeah. so I've I somehow some way or the other I've always kind of uh, found myself in those situations. Um, and I've always wondered, like, you know, why me? Like, am I doing something? Am I, you know, sort of mm. attracting these uh, perpetrators towards me? Like, why me? And, you know, mm. for, I really asked myself that for about, I think, 20 or 21 years of my life. Um, mm. And then that is when, um, and then I always told myself that, uh, you know, no, let me just focus on getting myself out of this situation. You know, I really just wanted to go away from home to really find myself, understand myself. Because I felt like growing up, there was a lot of noise around me and also mm -hmm. a lot of noise in my brain because my brain was trained to think, what next, what's next, what's next? Um, how, are you, how do you make sure that you don't make somebody angry? How do you make sure that you please your parents? How do you make sure that you please everybody around you? Mm -hmm. uh, it's also because of the culture and the environment that I grew up in. It was just too much of noise in my head. Uh, of course, uh, it was probably because I was a little introspective as well that I realized that this is noise. Sometimes you can also just assume that this is your life. Um, and then I just knew that I wanted to do master's. I just didn't want to stop my education at bachelor's. Um, that was really the motivation that was there um, mm -hmm. and that I wanted to uh, you know, be away from home. I just really wanted to explore life. Um, it was not to be more introspective or to find myself or to understand myself. That was not the goal. Um, although that is what happened, uh, mm -hmm. that was probably underlying throughout, but the main goal was to really just move away from home, mm -hmm. uh, live, you know, on my own and study. That was really the goal. And that is what got me to Europe. That's what got me to Germany. Okay. Um, and I did my master's there. And I think, um, yeah, then that put me through a whole different challenge. And yeah. here I was, I thought it would give me a break, you know, yeah. from everything that was going on back there. In India, no catcalling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no catcalling. There's literally nobody on the street. <laughs> like, right. Only the cat, the black cat that is just crossing your path. Like, hi, cat. And then that's it. Literally, there's literally nobody on the street. Right. So it's entirely different scenario, right? Uh, and then it put me through a different challenge. Yeah. I started to experience loneliness, and I actually right. missed home, and I missed my family. You know, wow. through the you know for whatever reasons, and um, missed a close, you know, set of friends or having a thriving friend circle. I missed that. So, um, yeah, so that was what was different. And then you asked me, you know, like, uh, what is it that um, really made me think about all of this, sort of uh, reflect on all of this? It was because, yeah, a lot of years, I didn't have time to think about it. I really mm. wanted to do my master's. And I got here, and that is really what gave me that space, um, mentally and physically um, to to think about it, to think about everything that happened and to form my own understanding of it. This started in my early 20s when I 
found a job here and I was working. Um, I was living on my own. I think that was sort of the start of all of this journey. And um, somewhere, sometime around when I was 26 or 27, um, I started to think that maybe it was time to have a family. But I always knew that um, that I have this big unaddressed thing, you know, below <laughs> shoved, you know, below the mm. carpet, and I had always promised myself that I would go to a therapist if I ever need to decide uh, when I'm when I'm at the sort of the curb of that decision, I would visit a therapist. That I, that's something that I always told myself right. uh, because I knew that this is not something that you can just forget about all these incidents. Um, and I sought therapy, and it really. Okay. Um, it really set me on this path of asking more questions and finding myself more and also trying to make peace with what happened um, or at least understand the cycle of thoughts that I go through. It's just the awareness of what is the trigger that sets me down on the path of self-pity? What are the other trigger points that lift me out of there? It was just this awareness gave me just so much of free space in my mind or in my mm. brain. It was just... Uh, fantastic to seek therapy and I think that was the best decision I made in life I was probably 27 28 years old um, and that was also the time where I found myself that I was um, too stressed with my job I was on the verge of a burnout and my colleagues also told me that look um, I think you're heading down this path uh, so you might want to watch out and I, I did the right thing and I really listened to them um, because nobody had told me such a thing before. I can see that you're stressed, you're fidgety, you know, and always looking into email. You you wake up, you're looking your office, looking at your office email. Or workaholic. Before, yeah, thinking before going bed, going to bed. Well, my job was stressful, and there was a lot to do. I wouldn't deny that, but that doesn't mean that I should be stressed all the time. You know, right. it is about creating that distance uh, between what is truly you yeah. and what is work. Right. Work defines us all to and some extent. And it should be fun. Yeah, it should be fun. And it shouldn't define you to 100%. Yeah. So then I sought therapy. That also gave me the, uh, the privilege. Of course, I'm privileged to seek therapy to also be able to afford it. Uh, but that also um, gave me this space to reflect on my thoughts and understand myself more. And um, I think it was, yeah, around that at that time that I also came up with this quote, you know, if not you, then who? Because that is when I really started to embrace my story and right. also started to tell people a little by little about it. Right. And um, finally, there was mentoring. That is also another reason um, or another big milestone, I would say, that helped me understand more. Because the mentor that I found, she just like, it was like, being grounded, you know, finally trying to understand mm. why am I doing so many things? Why are these thoughts in my head? Like, I know I like talking to people, why, but why is it that I want to evoke some emotions in them? Why is it that when they are motivated to do something, why is it that it brings me so much joy to understand that, um, to understand my what, how, and why? She really helped me a lot. So, And were you actively seeking this um, mentor? mentoring? I actually sought mentoring because um, I had this job and I was like, okay, what next? I need to figure it out. That is where it started, but right. it led back to some personal stuff. And then I realized, yeah, there is no point really separating them anymore no. uh, because it's me. Whether it's right. work, work is a part of me. Uh, my personal life is a part of me, what I am as a mother now, that's a part of me, what I am as a wow. wife or a partner, that's as part of me. So that's how. Well, that's what I realized. And because all the incidents that I've gone through, 
they impact every aspect yeah. of my life you know like so they call true. the butterfly effect you know it's like something that has happened in your childhood has such it can have a um, magnificent but it can also have devastating effects on you know the rest of the things that happen in your life right. and um that is really what um kind of came shining through that through that mentoring experience i had and that was amazing and that's something i also talk about in my book in yeah, my essay um yeah so i think seeking uh, of course trying to create that space mentally and physically was very privileged to do that then seeking therapy and then seeking mentoring i think these are the three things that really led me to if not you then who wow wow like and i think also well timed as well because you wanted help you were introspective you knew that there is this whole big elephant and if i want a bigger life i'm an ambitious person i want to grow up in life i need to address all of these things and at that time finding the right uh, i think uh, a therapist like maybe i don't know what kind of therapy like speaking like uh, speaking yeah, to a therapist yeah exactly that's what it was yeah. yeah and also like like a mentor who really appeals to your heart and you know mind uh, every single purpose because indeed it, it it sounds like a life coach <laughs> like yeah i think that is what she was it she was also um getting some certifications in coaching herself yeah and we met through this network called professional women's network and they had okay. sort of the speed dating where the mentor and the mentee would meet and i think we kind of hit it off right that's when that's how we started our journey yeah. and the professional women's network is also a common element uh, to the book that i've written um all of the authors we are all either past or present members of professional women's network and i think that's an amazing uh, community that we have right. uh for women here in the netherlands um so yeah so that's that was also the kind of the common theme and i'm very happy that i found her and um although it feels like it was a long time ago now but really like no it was like tuning a musical instrument yeah that's really what i felt uh, wow. that i was sort of in tune Wow. Uh, with my mind and with my experiences yeah like uh, that's amazing uh, to have community and to you know to feel seen and heard and uh, to sort out like you know you you were you you are like very intelligent and capable enough to like have all these uh, like being aware but to like you know arrange it in a way that will help you in future that's like amazing and uh, now i know that you are also a like a stand up comedian like apart from tech that's like super impressive and uh uh like for people who don't know she also performs in like she she apart from her job uh in technology and being a mentor and being a coach and technology strategist and being a mom i don't know how where you have the time <laughs> we need to talk about that too uh because i need help on that you are also a stand up comedian uh which shows in by the way boom chicago wow <laughs> like uh that's like i think in netherlands and amsterdam the number one place to be and also in utrecht hofman like uh and you have a niche genre <laughs> like of your uh i would say stand up would you like to throw some light into it <laughs> i don't know if that's a niche genre but uh it's more like i like dark humor yes. so um a lot of uh, there are definitely you will find that as one of the bigger elements in the set that i do there are also some lighthearted jokes you know things like how i make 
fun of um, uh, food lacking in spice here. <laughs> Things like That's that. True. <laughs> <laughs> That's another one more thing that we can both agree on. Yes. Probably Dutch people agree with it too, you know. Uh, but yeah, that's like common stuff like that, you know, just experience um, um, what I've experienced as a migrant here. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, of course, a larger element is also around dark humor where um, I try to make fun of, you know, all the sort of the severe or uh, tragic things that have happened in my life. Mm -hmm. I try to give a humorous spin to it. And uh, one of the recent uh, shows that I had, which also got a lot of, um, received a lot of good feedback as well, um, is that, um, yeah, I made a joke. I made jokes about postpartum, you know, all the struggle that I went through. It was particularly hard for me because I had to go through postpartum in the pandemic. There were lockdowns. I don't know how many, really, because I was sort of in my own world. I just knew that I couldn't receive visitors or I couldn't have my family uh, flown in here to Netherlands to take care of me and, and my baby. Mm -hmm. So it was really a big struggle. So as it is, there is, um, you know, social support lacking uh, when you are an expat or a migrant away from home. Uh, and I felt like pandemic drove it to a, a whole different extent and just made literally women's lives hell. Uh, especially women who are going through postpartum. And um, so I tried to put a positive spin to it in one of my recent sets, and it was uh, received quite well. So this this is what I do. I try to... It comes from a place of pain, um, but yeah. I try to put a humorous spin to it, and uh, that is really what most of my um, comedy sets are about. And I try to... Of course, a large element of it is also about, you know, um, showing or... Um, showing a mirror to what the current society is like, especially with uh, a lot of beliefs which are dictated by patriarchy and, um, you know, also feminism and things like that. So that is really what I try to joke about in my set. I don't joke about feminism, no, but <laughs> we joke are very about serious patriarchy. About <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So that, those are the things. So I would say it's, um, yeah, usually dark humor. That's what I like to So like... What was the most interesting, I would say, audience that you had that challenged you or like made you feel like, oh, am I doing the right thing? Oh, wow. Uh, I, I don't know, actually, to be honest, because so far um, the audience response that I've got, it really feel, makes me feel like I'm doing the right thing. Uh, yeah. I'm not saying that my jokes haven't bombed. Of course, there are times when the audience is a bit more quiet when I'm trying some new joke. Uh, and then I don't get the response that I hope to get. But I have never got a response uh, which makes me feel like, oh, this is too difficult. I don't right. want to do this anymore um, and things like that. So, um, yeah, that's a good thing, I think. Um, also, probably, yeah, I think the writing that goes behind it and the whole process, um, that, that's a lot of hard work. So I think yeah. it's going in the right direction um, that so far I haven't seen it in the response. But even if I do see it in the response that people don't like my jokes and that they're vocal about it or they get offended and things like that, mm -hmm. um, I think it wouldn't bother me because right. um, I don't fear um, being a failure anymore. And wow. that is really what makes me go back to the stage again and again, especially with comedy, because when your jokes bomb... When they don't go well, you immediately see that response. Mm. And you have to think about what's the next um, joke that you have or what's the next story that you want to tell your audience. And, you know, then look at how, how are you going to lift their spirits, their mood, 
um, and you know that that they interact in a way that you expected them to do it. Mm. So you really have to be present in that situation. Mm. It's like um, um, I don't know if everybody would agree with this, but it's also like practicing mindfulness for me. You know, like really being there, being present, interacting with your audience, and just makes you forget about everything else in the world. And that's that's a nice thing. So I think even if I didn't get a response that I wanted to, I would. Yeah, I don't think it would bother me a lot. Uh, maybe at that moment I would be like, oh, what do I do now? Which joke next? But I wouldn't be afraid of it because it has really broken my fear of failure. And that's wow. the most wonderful thing about being on stage and trying to tell some jokes. That's like amazing, like because you use the stage for your mindfulness and uh, uh, like building this whole conscious m mindset. That's like amazing. And I know that the topics that you talk about are quite uh, taboo topics yeah. because uh, there is religion, sex, um, diversity topics, uh, a lot of patriarchy around it. And especially I know that coming from Indian culture, like where the typical image of like a good, like female, Indian female is like, you shouldn't use these mm -hmm. kind of words. Um, or that makes you subject to a lot of uh, judgment. Right. Not during the... When you're in the stage, you're mindful and you have to be present. But before and after can also be challenging, and maybe also after, because then you, then you have the mind space to even think that, oh my God, like, people are judging. Maybe not here, but maybe you have... Indian crowd, <laughs> they're definitely are being judged. <laughs> right. Um, the thing is, um, I did do a couple of open mics back in India and Bangalore. Okay. Um, what I felt was that the audience uh, was uncomfortable. They mm. went immediately quiet when I was talking about, uh, when I was joking about sex or sexual abuse or, you know, so th those kind of topics, They, I could see that mm. they immediately... It's quiet. You know, yeah. There's Exactly. So. And then I really, it, of course, a lot of us um, comedians in India, they, they do jokes around sex. That's not that it's a taboo topic, but really uh, taking it to a whole different uh, extent. You and take adding it to a, a different level. Yeah. <laughs> and know. then adding dark humor to it, um, that I think made a lot of them uncomfortable. Uh, however, I must still say that I did not get any negative feedback um, and I think people are a lot more perceptive to it. Of course, I have always been brought up in, in a big city in India, so I yeah. might um, not have the full view um, to really answer your question to the best extent. But the audiences that I have seen and the places that I have been to, I have not experienced immediate judgment. Right. But what I do see a little bit, especially here, is mm. that there is a tendency to... Um, I think it's there with all of us. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it is something that would be nice if we could get over it. For example, you see a brown woman on the stage. Mm -hmm. um, you see... when I So it's also about what you assign as credibility in your mind to this person that is standing in front of you, you know, playing with stereotypes. Your brain is immediately playing with that. They're like... The brown woman, she probably knows spicy food. She probably, um, from her accent, she's probably from India or, mm. you know, um, one of the Indian subcontinent sub or something like that. Uh, so that's what probably the audience is thinking. And uh, this, I, I cannot, of course, uh, back this with data, but what I've experienced is 
um, when I talk about, when I have jokes about spice or Indian food and, you know, Dutch food, how bland it is, audience tend to laugh a lot more, you know, for other stuff that I have to say, especially when I'm talking about, as an Indian woman, talking about patriarchy or about sex, um, you know, the, it's, it's not immediate that the audience grasp me as a, as a master of the topic. Then I have to remind them, Kama Sutra comes from India, and then probably they will, <laughs> you know. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's natural. It's yeah. that, that, that stereotype that also plays in the minds of the audience that, that assigns certain credibility to you as soon as you stand on the stage and also takes away some from you uh, right. because stereotypes are in play. Right, yeah. So... When did you start stand-up comedy? Um, wow, I think four years ago. Yeah, three and a half, four years ago. So, like, is it also part of your therapy in the sense, like, healing process for what you mentioned about your past? Definitely, yeah? definitely. It's very much so. The thing is, uh, the more you talk about it, the more you also distance yourself from that experience, mm. that you were part of it. You know, you, you also start looking at it as another person who's in your mind. That when the scenes are playing, when, the, when what you experience is playing, you also start to look at it from a different perspective. Uh, before that, you are there. Your mind is looking at it as a victim, something that happened to you. Mm. And the more you tell the story, you become a character or a role in that story. And it helps you heal. Of course, there's also another part to it where you should also not lose that essence that that you know that it happened to you. That's it's in the sense that um, it shouldn't be a shameful thing uh, that it happened to you, or you shouldn't um, be bogged down a lot by self pity that it happened to you. A little bit of it is okay because everybody experiences like whatever you go through, your experiences, everything is valid, especially when you go through something tragic. Um, but then. Saying this story multiple times over and over again, it does help you um, distance yourself from it, and it helps you in healing. Um, it has definitely helped me in healing. Helped you, and um, and that's probably something that you can relate to as well, right? right? And yeah. uh, I know you've been really vocal about it, and um, you know that that you've given multiple speeches around it, and um, that must be yeah quite. You probably feel like there is some burden that's. Lifted, lifted off of your shoulders yeah. because you feel like you have this story which is such a taboo topic and you mm. shouldn't tell anyone for so many years and mm. now you're out there on the stage it's just it's so like yeah you know you feel much more lighter yeah. and then you realize that like for what reason was i taking this burden all my life or like first part of my life that it's not even a big deal but at the same time, being completely, like, unemotional about it or, mm. like, you know, I would say analytical about it, that's also something I don't want. Because that's that, uh, that pain, that injustice actually drives you. Right. So you would never want to lose that feeling right. as well. Right. right? Do you right. relate to that? I absolutely agree. There's no point <laughs> in looking at it analytically or logically. No, why is... Also, don't get it why looking at something from a perspective of logic is somehow greater than looking at it from uh, from an emotional standpoint of view. We've right. all been trained to think that being logical is better than being emotional. I think that's a narrative we need to change. Yes, um, and, definitely. Uh, yeah, and uh, somehow, yeah, I agree that, you know, especially with your story, something that is so personal. 
Um, you know, you, you don't, you don't ever want to think about it logically. It doesn't make sense. It is not your burden to think about it logically. It, it, it happened to you and that sucks. And mm. that should not have happened to you. That's the, uh, or me or anybody else. That's the bottom line of the story. Right. And, uh, and it is indeed not needed to look at it analytically. Yeah. And you need to, you need to, yeah, it's, it's pain and, um, it's, we learn to live with it. Yeah, and uh, this like uh, like I just want to take this moment to appreciate this mo- like this whole uh, like talk that we are happening because you are from we spoke about data technology data intelligence tech uh, woman in career and then we are talking about stand up comedy and both are so much part of your life and I can can I take this moment to really really appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, uh, that you speak about both, like, because being in technology, making an impact in the tech world, uh, bringing more and more women there, or not even women, like people from different diversities, that's a quite intellectual, logical, uh, like, you know, that part of the brain. And at the same time, you are also addressing your deepest uh, traumas, uh, and that's not at all logical, and uh, that's completely emotional, and something that uh, you live with. And um, you use comedy to vent out. I use speeches, poetry to uh, like address that part. And both are so beautiful that you can live with both, right? Like actually, not live with both. Like that's living. <laughs> Agreed, hundred percent. Yeah, like yeah. and 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 we need more and more role models like you to. Who 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 are not saying like oh like your career is everything or you know your family is everything no both are important at the same time you yourself as a person who you are holistically and that's like an absolute and that's why I wanted you in the <laughs> podcast so uh, like I wanted to take this moment to just like zoom out and <laughs> just really appreciate this whole situation like thank you for sharing this thank you thank you <laughs> and uh, yeah of course. That, that what you said is so true like you want to you want to go after a career that's what it is you know what it is do that if that is what defines you that's great and um, if you want to go after yeah. um a family life you know great if that's what you want you want to try to um you know have both that's great like you know you you just need to know what you want and mm. um why you want it yeah. that's more important i think yeah and then just go after it you know like yeah you yeah, whether it's well, it doesn't matter whether it's backed by data, emotions, or logic. None of them is, you know, lesser or greater than any of it. It's yeah. just they need to exist um, in sort of symphony. That's yeah. when you really are um, yourself. Beautiful. And that's the best. Beautiful. Like, uh, like, yeah, I love that about the symphony <laughs> analogy. And... And, and And the thing is that we also make choices, like, as... Uh, like individuals based on the social stereotypes, right? Because most females gone go into like family. Now things are changing, and with more and more role models, uh, we are seeing that like okay, things are changing, and the stereotype is changing, and hence the choice is also changing, which makes our uh, like uh, like the what we have to choose in the table much more wider. But also it makes it more challenging, <laughs> right? Now we want it all as a female. We want family. We want a relationship who's equal, uh, who treats us like equal or uh, like at least 
have better standards than what the past relationships were for females. Uh, have a kid, have a career, be very uh, ambitious in the career. Can you manage it all? If it's a question to me, um, I'm figuring it out. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, if I have to answer it in a yes or no, I would say yes, it's mm -hmm. possible. Uh, I'm learning, I'm, I'm trying to get there. Um, but in, if you ask me now, um, I think it's possible to, to have it all. And um, mm -hmm. if it's okay if you don't want to have it all. Uh, like I said, just uh, be sure of who you are as a person so you can go after what are the things that you want. And indeed, I agree with you, the choices we have now on the table can also be mm. challenging, which mm. probably uh, women of previous generations did not experience, or at least, you know, probably only a small part of them experienced it. And it is a challenge, I agree. And um, I, th I think we can have it all. And uh, if that's what we want, we should go after it. Yeah. And 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 hence the role how the society plays, your cheerleaders play, your partner plays, they become more and more significant because we are living this whole symbiotic life. Right. The more we want from life, the more we need to share our burdens and like we like so how's the chemistry in your household chores and with like maintaining your kid with your partner? It, it is um, challenging because it is uh, we don't have family support here. That right, definitely, expat, it, yeah. it makes things a lot more difficult for us, especially on days, let's say, you know, when um, our son is sick and, you know, he passes it on to us, we are all sick. We are like, okay, who's going to take care of us now, you mm. know? Um, that's when it gets really difficult. And I think, um, I think it's important that um, employers also think about that, you know, like... Uh, I know Netherlands has good policies in terms of long-term uh, caregiving, leave, and so on for parents. I think that's amazing. Um, but what do you do when it's really just a one or two-day sickness? Mm. Um, like, what? It's it's. I don't want to use my vacation days for right. it because that's really for me to focus on myself. You know, right. um, uh, I do end up using it, but you know, I think it's also something that. Uh, you know, when you have expats mm. here or migrant uh, workers here, it's also. Um, good something that, that I think should change um, across employers to think about it. Um, and then if I really focus back on my family, on what is um, challenging and how we manage, we somehow manage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and, uh, and I, I think we are happy with our choices. Um, I think that's the best thing because uh, we made this decision to happen, to kind of build our family on our own terms you know, to go the family way. And I think that's very important. And we are happy with our choice and we make it work. It's not easy, but we make it work. And of course, uh, it's also important uh, for me as um, as a woman who is really ambitious with her career and also um, has a lot of hobbies and likes sure. to meet people and to be out. It's It can make it hard sometimes, you know. Right. Um, uh, but somehow we manage because we kind of try to sync our agendas and see who is taking care, uh, you know, yeah. uh, of our son when, uh, when the other person is busy. And I think it's also, um, yeah, that needs to happen too, that we make time for the other parent. Uh, to take care of themselves, to give them some time. And I think that's very important. And um, in my family, I'm the biggest reminder for that. I keep saying, no, I need to take this time for yourself. You need to take this time for yourself. That's right. that's the conversation that I keep having nowadays with my partner so we can prioritize self-care because right. that that is very important. Otherwise, we cannot be good parents. It's just not possible, uh, mm -hmm. especially when you have a lot of things going on and no, not enough support, I would say. Uh, it's, yeah, it's... 
Um, very it's very important to prioritize self-care. So that's how we manage. We prioritize self-care and we have our agendas. Thanks to the Dutch culture, we are now <laughs> we are now almost as good as you know <laughs> Dutch people here managing their calendars and you know trying to put everything on a shared calendar. Which are are you away? This are I'm away and things like that. Wow. Um, and then of course uh, we are. I I think we are equal partners or um, maybe equal is just I wouldn't say 50 50 percent, but you know sometimes. One parent is leading, the other one is in the back seat, and the other way around. It depends. Um, right. And there are some chores which you are comfortable doing. You do that. Some of the other chores, the other partner does it. But it's um, yeah, it's it's important also. Not, uh, sometimes, like the stereotype that comes into play, um, that a woman is good at this job or man is good at this job. Sometimes that can help too. Yeah. Uh, but it's okay. You don't have to like. Um, I don't want to bring all the stuff from IKEA and start building it myself just because, you know, <laughs> I think that women can do it too. Of course they can do it. I just don't want to do it sometimes, you know. <laughs> and then, then I, I take up something else. So that's that's how it is. You, that's also a kind of symphony that, um, that needs to... Um, there are different elements that need to play together uh, right. to have a healthy family. Right. And um, some days, uh, most days we get it right. Some days we fail and then the next day it's another day and we try yeah. to make it better. What I really uh, like like about like these uh, like statements that you made is that how confident and how much self-respect you have for yourself, let me reflect on that, that you know that to be a good parent, you can't get into that guilt mode that, hey, I'm ambitious or hey, I want career, hey, I want, you know, th the point that you came here and, uh, you know, doing this podcast, like you didn't even think twice. And you take yourself that seriously in all aspects as much as you take yourself as a mother. And that says a lot about like uh, how holistic person you are and that that makes you a better mother because I think that's a great message uh, for the audiences and also to see a role model that like you know, to have a well-accomplished life or to be, uh, like, ambitious in your career, you don't need to be a bad mom. This is also great parenting. This is, if, if, if it's, if it's your, if your ambition is to be a full-time mom, be it. If your ambition is to be, you know, ambitions as work also, please know that that's not bad parenting. You just need to have a great support system and uh, kudos to your partner for supporting you. Like, we have to mention our men in, the, <laughs> in our lives yeah. who make our lives, you know? Right, right. Uh, and help us dream bigger. Right, and, and uh, they definitely play their male energies to their strength and uh, also um, probably female energies to their strength. And I think that's important as well that they have. Uh, and I think it's important that everybody acknowledges that's also by the way something that we talk about in the book uh, that there are certain energies and strengths that we bring in like female energy male Masculine, energy or strengths and yeah that is assigned stereotypically to each uh, to the two genders that we've always been talking about there are more but there you yeah. know let's say the extreme extremes of it um and that's what um the book also talks about like how can you play it to your advantage how can you play it to your strength um, and I think that's that's what the men in our lives do as well. Uh, I think it's important that uh, um, that they also acknowledge their uh, predominantly female uh, strengths or energy that they might have, uh, which could be things like empathizing or um, you know kindness and 
emotionally, looking at cer cer certain things in, from an emotional point of view yeah. and not shying away from it. Um, I think that's that's important for men, and I think it's important even more when you're trying to uh, when when you're a man in the family, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. not a man of the family, you're a man mm -hmm. in the family, and I think it's important that you. Yeah. Um, um, acknowledge those energies that you have and play to the strengths. Definitely, like to, you know, at, like just like we are healing, it's like everybody's healing, like people around us, and like, we've, like you were mentioning about patriarchy, and I think so many men are healing from patriarchy True. as well, Absolutely. just like us, and we need to celebrate these men who uh, like show so much of. Um, emotional intelligence and dare to be vulnerable I, in fact i'm getting emotional somehow talking about <laughs> this topic uh like it's incredibly sexy man <laughs> if you uh, are you know strong and at the same time vulnerable and that's and i think that's the new definition of strength that you can be both you can be physically strong mentally strong at the same time vulnerable show your weakness, share your feeling with your partners and family around, show your love uh, and uh, support others, empower others. That's incredibly attractive. It is, and it's, it's what is needed to build um, a better world and more mentally peaceful world for our children. Yeah, like how we can also like, in, a, in many ways, you being ambitious is also your sharing like, you know, the share in the family, like uh, just not the breadwinning side, but also the mental. Earlier, I guess, like it was like very stereotyped that like the man in the family, the breadwinner is also the mental mm -hmm. caregiver in the sense that should not like uh, uh, get like emotional weak, otherwise it's weakness yeah. or something like that. Now, since we are out there in the workforce and uh, uh, just like you, I also work in a very male-dominated society <laughs> in, in tech, uh, I, can, I can see and I, can, I, I think that we develop that intelligence as well that you have to be mentally strong to you know, go out there and make things happen and deliver and meet the deadlines and go for something. And that intelligence also is like coming in females now you know that that uh, that made uh, males earlier so strong we also have it so it's like balancing out and we need more and more balanced like couples like family like and and that's like amazing like that makes like the future so much more positive and 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 i think i have a great role model in front of me <laughs> thanks yeah i mean it's just yeah it doesn't matter what your sex or your gender is it's yeah. really to understand where these trends come from, um, I mean, I think, I guess it would be the same for the same-sex parents as well, you know, just right. to be in a sort of symphony on, you know, just trying to divide chores, and it's just, yeah, you're a team. I don't think, mm. yeah, your gender and your sex should play a role in it, and um, and that's what we try to do to our best. It does play sometimes, I wouldn't deny that, mm. but we just try to... Um, yeah, do our best, uh, unlearning right. uh, also sometimes, and also learning through mm -hmm. our child and trying to uh, manage things. And most days we succeed. But there yeah. are days when we don't, but that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. And like also healing each other, I think, in our each other's journeys. Like 
I feel like it's a lifelong process, right? Like you never get to a particular point and say that like, oh, now I'm the happiest person in the world. <laughs> like that would be very boring as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, uh, so like it's uh, such a great inspiration to uh, really see that. Maybe on a final note, um, anything that you would like to mention, like a message, um, anything particular that you feel like, apart from like the amazing topics that we spoke about, uh, like that you feel like that we missed out or like something that uh, is uh, appealing? Um, well, I think it was a great conversation, Sudanya, and... Um, your um, knowledge about em emotional intelligence and your empathy shines through all of this. And uh, I think I said most of the things, um, what I wanted to say, and we talked about tech, we talked about stand-up comedy, we talked about, uh, well, uh, trying to manage a family, you know, <laughs> and um, I think all those things are close to my heart and I try to do the best of my abilities in all those fields and also try to enjoy it and, right. and that, you know, that not, they don't need to be like goals or ambitions where I need to be at all the time. They can also be something that I can just be there present and try to enjoy. And um, yeah, so that's it. That was great for me. And of course, I'll not miss this opportunity to, yes. uh, you know, <laughs> kind of uh, show our book to the audience. Here it is, um, Ready for Female Leadership. The future is now. I think it's a wonderful collection of essays. Um, and of course, I have co-authored it too. Um, and if you're looking at, you know, certain topics that can inspire you to either take up mentoring or become a mentee, um, I think this is a book um, that you should definitely read. It also has some elements like technical leadership or technology leadership and um, emotional intelligence and so on. So um, I think it's a great book. And I think there are many authors with different backgrounds and different experiences that have poured their hearts into this book. Um, and I think it's a great thing. And um, also all the profits after cost, they go towards uh, um, a nonprofit organization which works for developing, um, works towards developing uh, women in, in different economies and different countries. So um, I think it's a great book and I will not miss this opportunity to, you know, to, to plug in that book, go, go order it and it's available on Amazon and please read and share De your feedback. Definitely. Uh, I'll share the link. Uh, on how you can buy this, but like I have read uh, your part, your essay, uh, but I'm looking forward to read the rest as well. But indeed, the whole concept I really love uh, that there are so many elements about leadership, and especially the female feminine style. And there are not only female uh, co-authors, but there are male co-authors right. uh, as well. So which which actually I love it <laughs> because it's not an exclusive. Uh, community that we are building yeah. we are building a, like, we need allies. inclusive yeah we need building. allies yeah. yeah yeah so like it's amazing uh, I think uh, you are doing an amazing job last and not the least we are also part of the same public speaking club I totally forgot <laughs> to <laughs> mention that yes, like we are talking masters <laughs> yes of course yeah that's, that's really what brought us together <laughs> yeah that's how I met her in the first place so <laughs> Uh, but but then I learned so many beautiful things about you that I totally forgot to mention this <laughs> thing totally. Uh, uh, but like, thank you so much that you're doing uh, such amazing job and being this. Uh, this also gives me, by the way, a personal uh, inspiration because I also love to do tech and I don't want to get rid of tech ever. Um, I enjoy it. I, I'm passionate about my corporate uh, life. 
But at the same time, I do poetry. I give workshops on emotional intelligence, which people ask, like, you know, these are so opposite. Like, right. you have to choose one. But, like, people like you inspire me. Like, hell no, I <laughs> want it all. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah, so thank you for, like, serving a role model for me. And uh, coming to this uh, podcast where, like, I, I think uh, very, very courageous of you to share so many personal bites. Uh, I know how many ever times you do it on the stage, especially when it's in person and having a one-on-one -on -one conversation. It's even a bit more tougher sometimes, I feel. So I want to really thank you, Archana, for doing that. And on a final note, like this is like really final, final. I have a, like, a list of questions, uh, which I call the real questions of Although we had like a real talk, so there are a list of around, I will ask you around 10, around 10, it is a one-liner or a question. So the only thing that you need to do is that give me a one-liner answer. And I'm not going to counter to that, mm -hmm. so that's like a bit tricky. <laughs> uh, but like this is a set of questions that actually I ask to all my uh, guests. And what's interesting, there is no right or wrong, but the variety, the, you know, the diversity that makes it very interesting for all of us to hear the opinions about. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to yours, Archana. Are you ready? Whew, yeah, I think I am. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's get started. Let's get started. So here are your one-liners. Casual sex or committed sex? Just sex. Porn is healthy. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. If you're in your limits, yeah. White men rule. Yeah, but everybody rules. Yeah. Should rule. Should. Right now? <laughs> White men rule. Right now, they do. But it should change. Emotions are weakness. No. Mm -hmm. Th that really just like one word's enough. <laughs> There's no one liner. No, a hard no, bold type. No. Um, so, body positivity or body neutrality? Wow. Um, body positivity is needed for now, because uh, ideally we shouldn't move towards body neutrality, but I think we need to focus on body positivity as a way to get there, uh, because there are a lot of negative uh, stuff going around. So body positivity now, the goal should be body neutrality. Slavery is over. No, it's not all over. I am, uh, I, you, probably a lot of us are still enslaved to our memories, to our experiences. No. Amazing. Love that. Uh, Asians are nerds. <laughs> Is being nerd a bad thing? I don't think That's so. That's my answer to it. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> um, mothers are undervalued. I'm thinking of a one-liner for it. I mean, I'm, I'm inclined to, immediately inclined to say yes, um, they are. I think um, it's so hard to do this one line. 
I would say women are undervalued. Wow, wow, love that. Um, last one. Parents fuck up their kids no matter what. Yes, but I think the goal should be that uh, when your child is in therapy, you're not the main reason for it. <laughs> I love that. So, like, again... Uh, the fun fact is that everybody says yes to this. <laughs> so no matter what, you know, kids are going to get <laughs> fucked up. We are fucked up. And so, like, let's enjoy that. <laughs> there is no big deal. Like, have therapy, have fun. And, uh, you know, don't take life so, like, heavily at the same time. Like, watch Archana's stand-up comedy. It really <laughs> helps, by the way. It yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, girl. It was super fun uh, talking to you. I had a lot of fun doing the real talk session with you. And I would like to give you a hug now, <laughs> if you are okay. Yes. Thank <laughs> you, Sudanya, for, for have all the amazing questions <laughs> and your kind words. Okay. Let's do a hug. <laughs>